Welcome, this is the Teaching Excellence podcast for all things FE, teaching, learning, assessment, quality and possibly a few other things along the way. Hosted by Steph Wilkinson and Jade Gibson, leaders in FE who want to support others and make a difference and hopefully spread a little happiness whilst we're at it. Hello and welcome to the Teaching Excellence podcast. Um, I'm really excited to welcome a guest this week, um, Christina Donovan, who um, I've been really interested in getting on the podcast to talk about all things um, leadership and culture. So hi, Christina. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. <laughs> um, we're just navigating technical um, uh, fun whilst we're recording. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, welcome to the podcast um I've been really excited to to talk to you and get you on um because um as some people will know those who listen regularly um I'm kind of really fascinated in in or with culture and um specifically how we well two two bits really one is about leadership um and the other bit is about how we support and develop um, and lead uh, teachers and quality improvement mm-hmm. I suppose, across the teaching profession so mm-hmm. welcome thank you um so why don't we just rewind all the way back to the beginning and uh, or, or the place that would be interesting for people to hear about about your experiences and, and what you've been doing so far I suppose mm-hmm. yeah so um I've just finished my PhD, uh, which looks at um, institutional cultures and how um, that affects trust, uh, interpersonal organisational trust. I look at that from both um, the staff and student perspective. Um, And I kind of developed an interest in it, really, because uh, in my career in FE, before I started my PhD, I did a variety of roles, really, always in um, learning support areas. Um, So I was in... Uh, I started off as a learning support worker, then I was um, working with at-risk students, uh, and then I, and my final job was uh, doing student voice. And um, I did. I worked in about four or five different colleges, and then I noticed that there was a difference in, in institutional culture was largely homogenous, so there tended to be a very a conflict of opinion around what were the important areas of action in terms of supporting students. Um, And I found myself kind of caught up in this us and them culture. Um, Often I found there was a conflict in the values of those who you would, you could say were on the ground. Mm -hmm. So teachers, support staff, Mm -hmm. uh, and those who were, who were leading um, colleges. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I guess that led me somewhat intuitively to um, the research that I've done really is, is, is what is the role of trust in that? So um, I did my master's uh, looking at this phenomenon of, of at-risk students. What do we mean when we talk about risk and how does that affect the way we view students and how does that affect our practice with students? Mm. And I guess um, the PhD grew out of an interest in relationships and how our relationship with the student had a, had a lot to do with how far we were willing to take action. Mm-hmm. Uh, student was perceived to be at risk how we understood what risk factors were um, and it tended to be if the student if the I, I got the the I got the feeling that if there was a trust that was that was built effectively between teachers and students that 
um, they were more likely to, to be retained. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my PhD looks at, uh, initially, it was actually to look at uh, trust relationships between staff and students. So it was a case study of a college um, where I've interviewed 15 uh, people. So there were uh, five members of staff and um, and 10 students in the study. Mm-hmm. But one of the key findings was what the role was of institutional culture in influencing how relationships were constructed between staff and students, but actually leadership played a very huge role in in how people felt and therefore the stories they told um, about their institution. Um, so what I ended up with really was this uh, a set of 10, I call them narrative typologies, but 10 ways of talking about trust within the institution and the ways that those participants talked about trust influenced the extent to which they felt involved or, or included within their institution. Yeah, I, I, and this is this really excites me actually. Um, in that, I I've always had this knowing that um, it's about the relationships that you build, and it's about the way that we interact with each other, whether we are. And I first recognised that actually um, in in the teacher student relationship. So as a teacher you know I've invested heavily in in my students and recognized that for the students that I felt that I couldn't reach quite as well often it was because I hadn't got to know them as well as some of the others maybe or I felt like that and mm-hmm. as you then recognized as I then focused on the students that I seemed to be having the most impact with Mm-hmm. It was often because they trusted me, and I didn't express it like that at the time. Mm-hmm. But I always knew that relationships were really important, and I think probably because as a person, relationships and connection is quite important mm-hmm. to me um, to feel a sense of community or belonging. You know where I work um, and who and who I'm with. But mm-hmm. and as I went into management. And then, you know, my my main role is leadership of teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I recognise the importance of building those relationships with mm. managers, but all other managers that I work with, but also teams, um, because obviously, again, my main part of my role is around influencing change and supporting people um, to do practice but then the other bit that I'm fascinated with is how I feel as part of a bigger leadership team and how mm-hmm. I feel in my role with you know I'm, I'm senior management team and there's um you know senior leadership team and how all mm-hmm. plays out um in in what is becomes as you're kind of talking about it the culture of the college mm-hmm. quite complex but ultimately significantly impacts on whether staff and students feel valued and are therefore successful what by whatever means we decide to measure that mm-hmm. um yeah absolutely. So, so I suppose yeah I just want to know more about what you've been asking and what you've been finding <laughs> say yeah. okay so um I guess the starting point for for the research was trying to understand what the effect of of kind of these 
for me at the root of it are these competing discourses about the nature and purpose of further education and I think that's a, that's a question that's ongoing it's a question that I think everyone has a very strong opinion on mm-hmm. um, and there's a common understanding from from my perspective that um, sometimes those really important conversations around what are our values and what is the nature of of um, of and purpose of FE sometimes gets overlooked because of the environment that we operate in mm-hmm. um, and by that I mean kind of the policy environment so when I was uh, first planning the study what I started to think about was around this how competitive cultures and the marketization of the sector mm-hmm. valorization kind of, of of self-interest within this market and it jars with um, different ideological positionings mm-hmm. between those who lead FE colleges and who and those who as I said earlier kind of on the ground within FE colleges working directly with students every day um, and one of the really helpful concepts that um, that guided me as I was doing my analysis was um, this concept um, from um, Vila et al which is about uh, the uncomfortable obligation uh, and they, they, they talk about this idea that when we are when what we are asked to do is out of step with what we feel is the right thing to do um they call it this uncomfortable obligation uh and that we are as practitioners are compelled to act in ways that we don't necessarily agree with or we don't feel is is the right course of action okay and so i guess it, it the starting point then is that institutional cultures so what is valued by the institution and i guess within very hierarchical structures that we find in fe colleges mm. Um, those values are often determined by leadership and not by practitioners mm-hmm. um, that institu- in those institute that those cultures will then um influence uh people's perceptions of trust yeah. um and so what i did was that i i um i went into a, a college um and i basically worked with one level two group and the aim was to find out how this how this culture, how this culture, which maybe is out of step with the values and purpose of of of, of how how it's perceived on the ground, um, actually influence those relationships and relationship construction. So, um, I basically wanted to know what each individual, whether a staff member or a student, what their story of their institution was. So, um, how their story influenced their positionality towards trust or distrust. Okay. Um, so I would sit with them and I, and I, did, I did something called a card sort. And so I, I talked to them about how do you feel when you come to college every day? Um, and I got them to, to rank their feelings when they came to the institution and that formed the basis of the interview. Um, and I found that the stories that they told about how they experienced um, not sometimes the physical environment of the college, sometimes their, their relationships with others, had a very strong relationship with whether they trusted or distrusted okay. people in the institution. Um, and so, um, in effect, um, I, te- I found that those that came from a distrusting position, for whatever reason, yeah. um, often linked to something that I would call trust history. Okay. Um, so, which can be individual or institutional. Mm-hmm. Um, if they came from a distrusting position, they would talk about trouble, struggle, uh, feelings of oppression, of feeling powerless. Um, and that led them to um, 
adopt strategies which were often associated with self-preservation because they were so uncertain about what would happen in the future that they they need they knew they needed to protect themselves because as far as they were concerned those who were responsible for that responsible for them were not benevolent they weren't trustworthy whereas those who had a very trusting disposition tended to talk about feeling like they were thriving um, that they were accorded unity in the thesis around they, they felt that they um, they were very much in collaboration with others they were working with others um, and that led them to feel like they were transforming and then they they, they had optimism um, for the future and within this particular case study uh, where trust existed it was very much bound to conceptual and physical spaces within the institution so for example um, teachers would often talk about their safe spaces being the classroom um, or the staff room or where their colleagues were, mm -hmm. places where they felt that they had freedom of expression, yeah. where they felt that their opinion was valued, where they felt that they were working for a common goal, they shared the same values as other people within that space. Yeah. Um, and so within those spaces, where, where those spaces were, were they were more able to take risks. They were more able to um, to view others as benevolent and helpful. Yeah. And I guess one of the key things that I, I recognised was that um, spaces, those those safe physical spaces, uh, those safe psychological spaces yeah. where people trust and and take risks and be and have creative autonomy, that they're, they're shrinking within a lot of institutions in FE, okay. um, because of this competitive environment because of this conflict of values and purpose so when people stepped out outside of those spaces they no longer felt safe and therefore no longer felt able to trust mm -hmm. um so spaces for trust were existed in quite small pockets okay. um of the college for a lot of staff and students yeah and and uh, there's a couple of things i'm just jotting things down as uh, pop up actually um there's a couple of things that are, is popping up to me. One is about, you mentioned about values and, uh -huh. um, you know, college values. You would you would generally go to a college and, and they would have a vision or a mission and, and they would have values, uh -huh. which are spoken values, um, written down values. And some reading that I did a little while ago um, talked about the, the alignment of, practiced values with written down values and how mm -hmm. your you know as a as a as a company as a you know thinking about your culture it's really important to sort of consider do our practices align with the values are they practiced values or mm -hmm. or not and actually Mm -hmm. that's quite complex in itself because there's probably lots of little things that would contribute to something either being aligned with the values or not mm -hmm. um, I find yeah. I, you know that that's just a start point for colleges and, and even mm -hmm. to think about is our, our practice values actually aligned with what we're trying to achieve as a team um if, and what is it and then you could obviously analyze beyond that what is it that's not aligned or what what mm. actions are conflicting against 
mm-hmm. um, written down values and how do we change that? Um, I find mm-hmm. kind of a really interesting place to mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. when teams want to consider values and behaviors. Um, mm. But the other thing just that's popping up is, you know, thinking about these safe spaces and people feeling like there's a safe space. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really in, I'm really intrigued by, because there are spaces where people feel more safe than others. And I think, you know, I've been in meetings where it's quite obvious that people maybe don't feel safe to speak. Mm-hmm. And that. Mm-hmm. is quite interesting but then we do have our own spaces um I've I kind of try to lead my team that mm. you know in our office in our with the different offices I've got different uh, different mm-hmm. teams but that is a safe space even though I'm mm-hmm. their manager and I'm a senior manager in the college that safe mm-hmm. space to really thrash out the ins and the outs of what's working, what's not working, because our values are always about the greater good, uh, always about uh-huh. making a difference. So whatever we need to explore in that mission to make a difference, that is uh-huh. that is a safe space. But also I try to operate on an individual basis where uh-huh. everything is it's a safe space to come to my office and say, Steph, I'm okay uh-huh. with this or I am okay with that. And I think... Uh-huh. That's interesting for me to reflect on as a leader um, because I know I've felt at times that I go in and speak to an, another individual person and I don't feel like that's a safe space mm-hmm. or I'm unsure yeah. if that's a safe space. Yeah. And actually, consequently, or maybe that comes from having mm-hmm. th- thought that there was a safe space before and then someone's gone and repeated to somebody else what I've said um, and it's kind of either been misconstrued or it's been taken a slightly different way and then I've ultimately it's come back on me and uh, you know something's come back to me that's been a negative experience and then you lose trust don't you and yeah you know so yeah that's they're really big things to think about but Mm-hmm. really fascinating things to think about mm-hmm. so. yeah I think the what you what you were saying like around it's a really nice way of conceptualizing it that kind of practice values versus written values and I guess um I can be very cynical about college mis- mission statements around uh, what their what those values are and what they mean mm-hmm. um when they just exist on a website somewhere yeah. and I guess I've served as a governor for a college before mm. and my sense was that those it wasn't that those values weren't held my sense was that they were aspirational values yeah um but what it neglects is that especially things like trust it's it's very dynamic as a process yeah often we consider it as, as an effect some like a product that we want to deliver or, or a product that we want to make or that it somehow remains consistent mm-hmm. um trust is very active as a process Um, and so the links between what you were saying there and safe spaces Mm. kind of tie into um one of the things that that I'm working on at the Mm. moment still thinking about still unpicking is is that in order to build trusting cultures Mm. real trusting cultures you have to think about the structures that are in Mm -hmm. place 
um, which are often um, incompatible. So structures that are based on compliance are often incompatible with trust because trust is predicated, predicated on um, someone being able to have freedom of expression, to be able to participate in decision-making um, and actually having a space to be vulnerable. So when we decide to trust someone else, whether it's an institution or, or another individual, we are making an assessment of whether we can be vulnerable in that situation. Am I safe to be me and to express who I really am? And is this person going to um, have, have a benevolent attitude towards me? Do they have my best interests at heart? Uh, and the more rigid the structures that we work within and the less opportunities that individuals have for that freedom of expression and creative autonomy, the less likely they are to feel that they can do that, that they can, they can be vulnerable because what, they, what we understand in a compliance culture is that there are certain things that we have to achieve that we haven't necessarily decided for ourselves. We haven't decided that that's what we want to achieve. It's something that's been given to us, which kind of goes back to that concept of the um, uncomfortable obligation that we, that we talked about earlier. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm really interested in vulnerability and Hiya. Yeah. For a second, <laughs> go on. So, um, uh, if we if we don't embrace vulnerability, yeah. then we'll struggle to build trust. But then we have a system which valorizes notions of, I guess, strong leadership. And where you have strong leadership, vulnerability is not seen as something that is mm -hmm. valuable. Um, and so I guess to, um, I guess to, to build trust, we need to start turning that notion on its head a little bit. The idea that, to, that, that strength and vulnerability are somehow separate that they're somehow different and distinct, yeah. that they actually, to be vulnerable is to be strong. Yeah. There was a lot of vulnerability. Yeah, I, um, I um, read um, one of my favourite books recently was um, Brené Brown's book, um, mm -hmm. Dare to Lead, I think it was, and, and she talked a lot about vulnerability and it really kind of helped me to process a lot of like personal opinion and personal views and how I feel about myself actually in leadership because... Um, mm -hmm. I'm quite happy to be me and I'm quite, ha I'm quite an open um, person and um, I like to feel what I feel and say what I say, but there are times mm. that people think that that's a weakness and I've been, I've been maybe not given that feedback directly, but I'm, I often feel that maybe sometimes I need to be seen in a slightly different way um, so that people I'm stronger mm. than I am like a perceived strength but actually when mm. people get to know me um, and get to know me with with more sort of you know with time um, mm. they realize that actually um, my strength is that sometimes uh, mm. is my willingness to be very open and my willingness to really be me. Mm. And I've had to, and this is me being vulnerable actually, and, and mm. expressing this that I've had to go through, you know, 
the thinking, the self-reflection of do mm. I become more corporate as I as I term it in my head um, mm. to to progress and to make a bigger impact because for me my progression in in FE I have a real I have a real desire to make a difference to education and I have a real mm. desire to do that on a national level and I've mm-hmm. gone through that thing of you know do I need to be a bit more corporate to get where go mm-hmm. to make the difference I want to make but I sort of committed to myself I probably only about 18 months ago um, maybe two years ago that mm-hmm. I would I would rather be authentic and I would rather always be me to know that I'm making a difference in the way that comes to me and isn't isn't being driven by different agendas or different influenced mm. ultimately you know I want I have a mm. real um, desire to be authentic in my leadership so mm. I kind of go through these phases especially when I'm given feedback around you know I'm um, people often describe me as a very positive idealistic mm. big thinking type leader and I'm mm. really okay with that sometimes the mm. connotations that go with it is that there's a lack of realism or there's a sense of of weakness there underneath that um, that vulnerability that I show. But actually, I'm really glad that you kind of brought that up, that that is a real strength, actually. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've had to do some work on that, you know, myself around that. But um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, now I feel a bit like I've just shared that with the world, but that's fine um, <laughs> that's kind of part of this whole process I think that to to mm. raise the awareness around vulnerability and authentic leadership uh, because mm. I feel strongly about it actually um mm. so yeah there's there's a lot to do on on I've been thinking quite a lot recently about leadership in FE and you know what we perceive to be strong leadership um because when you know we're moving forwards, you know, things always evolve. Effie evolves. I feel really passionately about leadership evolving mm. at the same time. So we, you know, we're going into an, another phase. Effie goes through lots of phases, but we're going into, mm. um, you know, another phase of change in, in the landscape of Effie. And I think we do need courageous leadership. And I think we need people mm to challenge what is traditionally seen as strong leadership um, and really think about how they bring their selves and their authenticity and creativity and innovation to leadership um, to be able to navigate the challenges that, that we face as FE. Um, so, yeah, I love that mm. stuff on, on vulnerability. It's mm. probably a whole another podcast episode in itself. Um, yeah but just thinking about um because we obviously could talk about this forever but thinking about and um, what I kind of like to bring to the podcast is how we can apply it um and how mm-hmm. we can you know what can people go away and do um, um with with the stuff that you've been finding out and um, both yeah. um you know, when I talk about leadership I mean leadership in the classroom as well you know leadership um of learners but also 
um, leadership from a, a curriculum manager perspective or um, senior leadership mm-hmm. management perspective? Have you any, had any thoughts on, on how we apply it, what we do with it? Yes, I, th- I think for me, trust is about, it's about reflection more than anything else. So it's about how you use concepts around trust or, or your understanding of trust, um, whichever uh, context you're thinking of that in, whether it's the classroom or from a middle management perspective, from a leadership perspective. Mm-hmm. I think what we've been talking about around vulnerability is quite important. I actually um, did a, a keynote at FE Research Meet in Manchester uh, not long back and I used the term courageous vulnerability um, and the need that to, to acknowledge that actually if we if we are in a leadership position in whatever capacity mm. that is if we know that to build trust we need to create spaces to be mm-hmm. vulnerable that starts with us being vulnerable yeah. ourselves um, so I guess for me that that's one of the starting points but um and so considering that trust is active that it's a process that it's not something that will come automatically um and in order to build trust we also need to think about the idea of trust history so whether that's an individual's trust history or the institution's trust history so what's happening now how does that relate to what happened before and whether that's the student's Uh, journey whether that's um the institution's journey you know a lot of FE colleges have been through a lot um and um depending on how long staff have been at the institution but even you you, sometimes you feel that you've been haunted by what's come before within an institution and even if you have a whole new change of leadership that um legacy of what came before can still hang over many individuals and that will affect their ability to trust so understanding what came before, understanding how people have been affected, particularly if, you know, if you're in a college that's had, you know, rounds and rounds of redundancies, that is a real process of, of trust breakdown there. It's people having to, to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you're in survival mode, you're less likely to be able to, mm-hmm. to trust. Um, and I've thought about the importance in terms of building creative autonomy and, and allowing for that freedom of expression, that vulnerability, the importance of of how hopeful that is for for individuals so to be able to make decisions about myself um is incredibly hopeful because for me who we trust is wrapped up in who we are and how we perceive ourselves and our identities mm-hmm. and so you know in my thesis I make a link between um having low trust in the in the environment that you find yourself Mm -hmm. in and I'm thinking in particular of one of my uh, participants uh, that was a lecturer really struggling to trust the external environment and trust the direction that leadership was taking the college Mm -hmm. in and um I started to see links to burnout there when you are in an environment where you either are constantly feeling like you're resisting dominant Mm -hmm. culture um and you're trying to operate from your values base, but that seems in conflicts all the time with everything that's going on around you, that that can lead to um, feelings of burnout. Um, And so thinking about the effect of of trust and how it is so intimately linked to people's values is quite Mm -hmm. important. And 
um, there was a piece of research that I read where they talked about some FE and community educators can continue to practice based on their values and they called it operating in the cracks. So some some people, even though they live, they work within dominant mm. culture that maybe doesn't value what they do necessarily, they'll continue to do it because they're operating within mm. the cracks. And I guess it's like, how do you get those people who are operating within mm. the cracks to come mm. out and to, to share what they're doing with the wider college and the wider institution? Because what they're doing is probably really valuable, but is as yet unrecognized because of the compliance cultures that we're operating mm. within, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and it's so... I've just been thinking about um, my teams actually and how um, I've, I have this phrase about culture of excellence, which um, that links to a few things you've said actually, because I saw this quadrant, it's, a, it's from a piece of research and that I um, came across through an external recently and they talk about high levels of challenge. Um, and, and then, so it's a sliding scale of challenge and a sliding scale so if you're in a high level high level of challenge sort of situation but you have low um perceived support low levels of support um they had a box that was burnout and then but if you have if you're in an environment where there's high levels of challenge but there is high levels of perceived support um you get sort of um flourishing or um resilient um cult and mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting because um, as a as a vision, as a culture, I, I always talk about the bar being really high and an excellence mm-hmm. in everything that we do, because I think, you know, our students and our staff deserve that. Um, but it has to be met with the support mechanism. So the reason that I have always been. Uh, it's not the right phrase to say opposed to quality assurance and compliance that's not the right phrase but um, I've naturally always recognized the importance of quality improvement and support mechanisms and development mechanisms Mm. so everything that I do even the implementation of my teaching and learning coach team this last year is all built on creating relationships and safe spaces for people to be vulnerable to say I don't Mm. know how to do this or I don't I'm not sure about that or I've got a really difficult group of students and I need some help and what's fascinating so we're like in month six of of that team is that you know we've gone Mm. through that phase where people are wondering how when they access the support what what happens to them how are they going to be measured on it or how are they going to be you know what so so what you know and then how are you going to come and get me um you know and actually Mm -hmm. what staff have really benefited from is having those relationships and people where um they can discuss kind of you know anything about their practice but ultimately can also make their own choices within that so we don't we've given a frame we we've created a framework but I love the concept um that Matt O'Leary talks about a little bit which is around structured autonomy where Mm. regardless of whether what professional development you're gonna you know look at you have choice and you have um ownership of of that and that all contributes to the development of trust over time 
Um, I think there's a lot more... Or I've had quite a lot of people come and talk to me about the teacher and learning coach team because what's really nice about my job is that I'm not quality assurance. So although I have to mm-hmm. prove impact of what we're doing... I don't need to be the persons associated with the measuring and the compliance. Um, that's a different team. So we're slowly and surely and steadily building really supportive mechanisms. And, um, pathways for people to access support and, and to build trust and base for them to think about what they're doing without feeling a threat or feeling like we're going to come and check on you afterwards Um, and your discussion around trust history is directly related to what we we have had to navigate as a team because Mm -hmm. people are wondering how this is different to before they their reference point Mm -hmm. is what's come before Um, when I've Mm -hmm. pitched new ideas you can see people wondering what the catch is or um you know um is 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 she telling the truth um you know is it that that's just how it is and um and actually over time i kind of always accepted that this first year of putting that new teacher learning coach team in place was definitely going to be about um culture development and culture change building people's trust um, and made, I mean, my coaches are amazing. You know, I recruited mm-hmm. some amazing people who are very good at building relationships and completely get this um, building of a space to create relationships mm-hmm. and trust. And the momentum we've had because of intention around that is has been phenomenal. Um, so... I'm kind of, I've kind of always had a knowing that this was really important. Um, so it's really mm-hmm. amazing to talk to you actually and, and just hear some of the, the background of it and, and how that kind of all plays out because um, the application actually is, is really important for colleges about mm-hmm. is um, to be, I know we had a little chat before we talked about intentionality I think there has to be some real intention around building trust, which includes mm-hmm. the strategies and the mechanisms by which we support staff, but also manage and lead staff and the types of language that we use. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, application of of everything that you've been looking at, I think is is going to be really important for for colleges to think about they evolve mm. for definite um yeah. whether it be leadership development or whether it be teacher development what's mm. application there i think the um the one of the key words that you mentioned at the beginning of what you were saying there was is the word yeah. perception um and so i think it's really helpful to think about what people are thinking when they're deciding Mm -hmm. to trust you. Um, And what most of the literature points to is that when someone is making that decision, it is so fundamentally based on perception. It's not about whether it's true or not. It's the perception of your authenticity. So they're assessing whether you are Mm -hmm. competent 
that's quite important. Uh, are you benevolent and do you have integrity? Are you honest about your intentions? Do you have your, their best interests at heart? And are you able to do those things? And if either one of those things are compromised, that will affect their ability to make that decision um, to, to trust. Um, and often, unfortunately, sometimes we can be a bit compromised in, in that mm. offer. Um, and so that's why trust history is quite important and thinking about how um, institutions are structured and where those spaces of vulnerability are and where those opportunities to participate are because the, the structures that we work within will affect our ability to answer those three questions when we're deciding to trust. Yeah, I agree. And I see that play out in, in lots of different ways, whether it be on a one-to-one, whether it be in a team meeting, whether it be, um, like you say, in, in staff rooms or teams or, um, diff- you know, whatever that is, um, there's something in it around, you know, yeah, people making the decisions and I recognize that actually because that you know that that concept of perceived support or not because mm. um you could have lots of different mechanisms in place or think you're doing the right thing but if that doesn't land with somebody um well or they mm. don't perceive it to be useful or supportive then it, it it doesn't count ultimately because it doesn't it's not real um so it, or it's not real for them so yeah, this, you know, and that's where leadership becomes really complex um, because you can believe that you're doing the right thing and that you're saying the right thing and you're trying to lead in the right way. But if something's not quite ma- matching how all the different individual needs in the team and, um, and you have to be open to trying to recognise that as a leader, I think, but to you've got to be vulnerable like you've got to ask for feedback you've got to ask what's working and not working for your teams you've got to be willing to take it on the chin and say oh okay the team or individuals kind of don't feel okay with x y or z or there isn't clarity around this because if you don't have that and you continue on regardless then like you were saying before you either get burnout or you get well, you get dropout eventually, you know, not wanting to invest anymore, or you get people who go down the cracks and then, and then you know, mm. ultimately you've got good practice or best practice or um, things that would be really useful to share, not being shared at all, um, and people closing down to... to um. mm. Amazing. Um, I've just got an eye on the time, that's all. I know that we could chat for hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose before we go, mm-hmm. is there any sort of maybe last couple of things that you think would be you'd really like to share with the sector? Um, I guess one of the key things I think in terms of trying to achieve all of the things that we've talked about, and if I think link that to my own experience, mm-hmm. even of being managed. Um, for me, the most powerful forms of leadership are, is it lies in listening uh, and we don't notice people's vulnerabilities unless we're actually really listening. Um, and that solidarity with that is also very important. So it's not just about listening to people when they're vulnerable. It's about acting mm. in solidarity with them. Um, and when you act in solidarity with them, so 
Pietro Zompka talks about this idea of moral space, that trust exists when we have core conditions in place, which are solidarity, loyalty, reciprocity, mm-hmm. respect and justice. And when those conditions are in place, people feel um, more able to take risks and to be vulnerable and um, to place their faith in others and the environment. Um, but that's something that takes time. Trust cultures take time to build. And it, it is an investment, I guess, in all of those things that we've been talking about, which is, which kind of necessitates us to be vulnerable. We have to be, like you said, we, we have to be vulnerable in order to achieve those things. Who, no matter who you are, whether you're a student or whether you're uh, a senior leader, that capacity to be vulnerable is crucial if you're going to Definitely. build trust. Thank you so much, Christina. And like, no worries. Know, <laughs> I hope um, that was helpful. I'm truly fascinated. Um, there's a lot more to pick up, I think, a lot more to talk about at some point. Um, I'm excited to um, talk to you again at some point and continue to debate things mm-hmm. and think about how people really um, apply and develop the cultures in colleges because you know even if we think about you know big picture stuff around student trust and student achievement and um, them mm-hmm. reaching their full potential but also this notion of um, mm-hmm. I, you know I, I am I am um, passionate about um, how we get to a point where staff are also flourishing and staff are also um, developing, you know, and, and reaching their own potential and being their best selves. Um, and and then if you link that out to teacher retention and um, well-being, there's so much in there to think mm-hmm. about as we go forward and as, as leadership in AFI evolves um to make a real difference to the sector and what we do in the contribution we make as opposed to to the world ultimately so um yeah thank you so much and uh um i hope to have you back on um at some point soon uh, it'll be so a pleasure much, <laughs> you're welcome you. bye, bye, thanks bye. for having me Thanks for listening to the Teaching Excellence podcast. Leave us a voice message in Anchor. Tweet us and let us know what you think or what you want to hear on the show. Tune in next week for more. Have an amazing week and be the best version of you.